0: Welcome, everybody, to Beat the Shift Baseball. This is episode 44, Wednesday, September 19th. I'm Alex Uy, and I'm here today with Alex Rudy. How are you doing, man?
1: Doing quite well, my friend. It's good to be back on.
0: Yeah, I should say the return of Alex Rudy. It has been been a while. I I feel like I say that every single time, but it really always has been a while. I'm going to go ahead and actually just start you off with a good old baseball trivia question right out of the gates. If you're if you're feeling game for that
1: oh, wouldn't want anything else
0: <laughs> all right um, so as you know Christian yelich of the Brewers just hit for his second cycle of the season on on Monday I believe so let's I, my question for you is who is the last player to hit for two cycles in the same season
1: oh Wow, I saw this the other day, and I completely forgot who it was. Can you tell me how long ago it was?
0: Um, it was I believe six years ago. I want to say so. Rel- relatively recently. Six, the other six. time, the only other time it happened was almost you know hundred years ago. That that type of thing. But it did happen six years ago. All right. Well, I had to look it up. Well, that that's cheating. That's cheating. I
1: was hoping. Wait, wait. just chance. I was hoping be someone fairly obvious who I could just say and get away with. But I see that as Aaron Hill, who there's no way I would have ever have guessed that, considering I've replaced my memory and recollection of him existing as a play with other things in life. And so I cannot say I would have gotten that question correct, but excellent piece of trivia um, for my next uh, trivia night at the, at the local bar. So
0: We don't condone cheating here, Rudy. I hope you understand this is a very serious offense, and you will be reprimanded at some point I, in the I, future.
1: I technically do not cheat. I, oh, I tried to cheat. Looking
0: up the answer to a trivia question on the internet is cheating. Come on, what kind of society do we live in?
1: But would you, have, you wouldn't have known unless I told you.
0: I would have known because of Reddit. So, there you go. Uh, that Fair is enough. the source of a lot of my trivia, as I think most people would agree. But, um, yeah, Aaron Hill hit for two cycles in 2012, and I believe they were even closer um, together. The games that he hit them in were closer together than Yelich's even, which I think Yelich only went about a month in between his cycles. I think... Aaron Hill, if I remember correctly, only went about like 12 days between cycles, which is ridiculous. So, he was quite
1: the player for a couple of years.
0: Yeah, so uh, he was on the Diamondbacks at the time, if you were curious about that. So I just wanted to start this episode off with a little bit of trivia because, you know, sometimes it takes a while to get going. But we will talk more about Christian Yelich. We will talk more about the Brewers. And their hunt for the playoffs, uh, among other things. You know, we'll talk about Jacob Degrom because how can we not with the season that he's having? And we'll talk about some, you know, MVP races, you know, Rookie of the Year stuff. I don't know, whatever, whatever comes to mind uh, as we move along here. But let's start with Yelich again. Uh, he's definitely making a strong case for that NL MVP. There are a number of other uh, possible deserving players for that award, though. Uh, A couple of them would be Jacob deGrom, like I mentioned. Um, Maybe we'll talk more in depth about what he's been doing a little bit. Uh, But among position players, there's Javier Baez, there's Nolan Arenado, there's, I mean, those are two of the big ones. There's Paul Goldschmidt, who since starting the season off ice cold, has pretty much led the way in OPS since he decided to become Paul Goldschmidt again. So yeah, those are a lot of candidates. Matt Carpenter, is in there as well. Max Muncy. There's other players with a strong finish that could definitely make a case going forward. Trevor Story as well. So let's just pick one name here. I'll let you pick a name that you want to talk about as another viable MVP contender against Christian Jelic. Um, and if you think Yelich is the runaway MVP choice as well, you know, go ahead and tell us why.
1: Well... I certainly think it's fascinating to see Christian Yelich, you know, have a season. I'm not saying he's the Norway MVP candidate, but I think he has to be the story of this season, right? Because you have this guy who was stuck on the Marlins, you know, for his whole career, and everyone knew he had some great talent, yet he never really put it together for full seasons in terms of combining power and on base. Um and all the peripheral stats all together. And um, you see him this year traded to Milwaukee and still have only played 136 games. So it's not like he's, he's going to end up playing a full season and post these career stats that I would say, especially in the power category, just w- much better than I think anyone could have reasonably expected. I mean, he's going to have a 30-20 season. That uh, 952 OPS is pretty... Outstanding. I, I know, you know, playing the outfield, I know he plays left field is not a super demanding position, but I think you have to give him a little bit of benefit that's out there over uh, first base defensively. I mean, I think, uh, I, I, you know, I think it's hard to argue against him. One player, though, that, uh, you know, we don't talk, we're not going to talk about probably for the MVP race, but I think is still interesting is, you know, on the other side how disappointing it is to see that Bryce Harper isn't in this discussion at all. I don't want to make the Bryce Harper, you know, story, but I, I think you can't talk about the NL MVP without pointing out like how, how you know disappointing his and his team's season has been. And it's kind of you know when you have the, that guy who um, is generally in the minds of just the average fan going to be a perennial front runner, um, totally out of it. It's uh, you know it produces. Yeah, another seemingly infinite number of you know it's seemingly countless time at this NL MVP race has just been um, completely, completely uh, wide open. You know, other guys have had disappointing seasons too. I would say like Anthony Rizzo, Charlie Blackman, relatively speaking. Um, you know, has Aaron, correct me if I'm wrong. Has Arenado won an MVP yet? He hasn't, right?
0: No, because so, course field. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, so I was gonna say maybe you know, do you give him the benefit of the doubt just because of, like, the his turn type of mentality that a lot of people use? I, I mean, I, I think that's, you know, not exactly the most analytical reason to use, but...
0: Uh, yeah, you, definitely you not know, analytical. <laughs>
1: Javier Baez is going to be the best player on the best team, you know, that sometimes is enough to win the MVP when it's a close race. Um, but looking at the stats, I mean, I, it seems to me, you know... Especially, yeah, you know, it seems to me it's Yelich, but uh, you know, please feel free to argue with me. I'm very curious how you feel about this.
0: Well, I do feel it's Yelich, uh, and I don't think it's by a landslide by any means. And I didn't mention his name earlier, but his teammate Lorenzo Kane, comparably, as you know, productive in most facets of the game, clearly doesn't have that 30 home run, uh, 20 steal season. But Lorenzo Kane has been just as great of an acquisition for the Brewers as Jelic, uh, you know, by most measures. So I do think that Javier Baez will warrant a lot more attention because of some things that are intangible, which is always interesting to me. You know, you, you look at the numbers, his on-base percentage is nothing to really marvel at. It's you know, I think it's on-base percentage is below 350, if I, if I saw that correctly. Um, which is, you know, something you don't really see from MVP contenders, but his slugging percentage is through the roof. He does things day in and day out on defense, on offense, that seem to just put his team in a position to win games, whether it's laying down suicide squeeze bunts or making an insane diving play to, uh, to save a run or by making an insane attempt at moving an extra base up, but, you know, causing some sort of chaos that results in errors and run scoring. It's, it's such a hard thing to measure, even with all the analytics that we have nowadays, to, uh, to really engage how good Javier Baez really is. So I think he has one of the stronger cases to go along uh, in, the, in that MVP race. And of course, Paul Goldschmidt, too, man. I mean, he has been unbelievable. If you you know, you can't disregard what he did in April and most of May, honestly. It was probably, you know, the worst stretch of his career. And he just completely turned it around and has, you know, Paul Goldschmidt numbers, which are usually top three MVP finisher type of numbers. You know, he's up to thirty three homers. He he's hidden three hundred basically. He's got four hundred on base, five fifty selling. They're they're just clean numbers that that look like they warrant the MVP discussion every year. So I'm going to leave it there. I think I could break down every single contender, but there's not much point in doing that. I just wanted to bring up the unique case for Baez and then, you know, give a quick shout-out to, to Goldschmidt, who really turned a season around. Same with Carpenter, too. You know what? Equal respect for Carpenter, who completely turned a season around.
1: Turned, so, his, turned his career around, I would say, more than just this season.
0: Uh, I would say so. I mean, good career for Carpenter, but really just, yeah, this year has been something else. So, you know, it is so much more interesting, in my opinion, to look at the National League playoff race because there's actually playoff races still happening. There's at least three teams still in contention in each division. The wild card race is going to be incredibly tight. It's one of those cases where we have to look at tiebreaker scenarios going into the wild card game, if it does come to that. And there really is no clear runaway favorite in any of the divisions at this point. Even you know the front runner team um, in in each division could just as easily let it slip away. It's very very close. So as of right now, it's Dodgers, Cubs and Braves and it looks like it will be Milwaukee and St. Louis for the wild card right now but uh which you know which one of these teams looks most likely to fall off to one of the other many many uh, encroaching teams
1: if only that was such a such a simple question to answer I think you know, there's one team that I see slipping in, and I, I'm not. There's an answer to fall off, but there's. I really think there's only one um, team that, you know, is clearly um, in contention to replace one of the others. I think mean, it's Colorado, since they're only one and a half games back in the wild card, um, behind St. Louis, and in um, the division they're also. Uh, one and a half games behind the Dodgers. I know they just lost that series to the Dodgers and two games swept under them. But I, I think no one else really has as good of a chance as them um, to replace uh, one of the teams currently clinched for the playoffs. I think um, the only other, yeah, I think all the, I think the division races um, in the other two divisions. Uh, I, I don't see the Cubs of Atlanta um, really losing their first place spots. Um, Bearing you which know, just a really horrible final two weeks, and I don't know if anyone else in that wild card position really has the juice. Uh, I, I if, you know, Philadelphia and Arizona just really, you know, three and seven and two and eight, respectively, over the past ten games. I think just took them out of the race races pretty much entirely. Um, I guess Washington theoretically still has a chance to make the playoffs in this horrible season that they're having. But
0: you know what? I, really I think just, I think it's even a little bit more than theoretical. Because the Nationals and the Phillies, you know, both have a little bit of ground to make up. But there's the Phillies, anyway, have, I believe, seven more games against the Braves down the stretch here. And their other series are, yeah. Well, I mean, the Braves' other series is the Mets. So if they take care of business there, then it might be difficult. But the Nationals, the rest of the way on their schedule, will have the Mets they'll have Miami and they'll go to Colorado so that last weekend's going to be very interesting but the mets and and marlins if they are able to take care of business you know against teams that really they should be winning games against um, you know the nationals could very much be right back in it and there's a lot of head to head matchup in there with the the brazen phillies where i could see this going down to the wire uh, the NL West is you know very obviously tight, you know, a game and a half or two games separate uh, those teams there. And same with the Central. I can see the Brewers very easily leapfrogging the Cubs. Um, I actually have not checked to see if they they play each other again, but I will check that right now. So I think that's uh that's a good place to uh, to stop talking about the NL playoff race. And we'll go ahead and move on to one of one of my favorite stories of this year, as sad as it is, as interesting as it is from an analytical standpoint, and that's Jacob deGrom, who, against the Red Sox on Sunday, facing off against Chris Sale, who... Sale is only just returning and making, you know, a three-inning type of start. But deGrom proceeded to throw seven innings of three-run ball and strike out 12, to extend his streak of three earned runs or fewer to 27 starts. That's a lot of starts to do that. And it's extending a record that I believe he set a couple starts ago. And it was also his 22nd consecutive quality start. So that's more food for thought. And we mention this all the time, his actual wins versus his wins above replacement. Everybody's favorite stat, right? He's got eight wins still. To 8.5, Baseball Reference WAR or B-WAR, so he's he's looking like he's gonna do it. I can distinctly remember as early as you know June or July when we started looking at this kind of stuff, at the fluky lack of run support things, things like that, and saying, you know, is he gonna make it? We've been checking in as we go along with Degrom, and it's amazing with less than two weeks left in the season, that this is the fate of Jacob de Grom. He will not win or he I guess he could win ten games. But he won't win more than ten games. He will face the Nationals on Friday. I think he goes up against Max Scherzer, so he'll have fun with that one. And then he gets either the Braves or the Marlins in his last start. And uh I think those two teams there's a pretty big difference in likelihood of the Mets winning depending on who they play there. But man, eight wins in a Cy Young slash MVP caliber season from DeGrom. 178 ERA is the big number that stands out. Do you have anything to say about DeGrom? Do you have anything to, that you just really want to rant about? Or, or are you just kind of sitting here applauding the guy for not having, you know, murdered his entire rest of his team for the kind of season that? they've been putting up for him
1: well i have a few I have a few quick thoughts but i think you summed it up all one and i'm sorry if you mentioned this and i just missed it but i really do or and if you i did i just want to emphasize it i really just really want the Cy Young winner to be someone with more war than wins i just think that would be amazing trivia and is what baseball is all about that'd be just beyond fascinating
0: wait so baseball is all about trivia i couldn't agree more actually
1: Two, um, I'm very happy. I traded Luis Severino and Miguel Duhar for <laughs> Anthony Rizzo in Fantasy. Um, it was a great trade. Um, I agonized it for days, and oh, I also got Scooter Jeanette as well. So, but Uwe, thank you for telling me to make that trade. It was clearly the right trade.
0: I would, uh, <laughs> I would say that's a pretty clear cut win there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And uh, my third thought was, I. <sighs> The man, the fucking Mets should have traded him. I guess they can trade him this off season, but oh my god! I mean, trade him already. What are you doing? Why are you just wasting this guy, who's st- this thirty-year-old pitcher, on your terrible team? It's so idiotic. I don't understand it at all. They could get so much for him. They literally could make remake the Mets off of him alone. It makes no sense to me at all. The Mets are the Mets. I mean, it's like it's the most Mets thing ever have this consolation for their team going from like world series to basement in like what three years and they're gonna get a Cy Young for it basically is what they get like wow that's that's that the Mets and the Angels fans I think are you know really two uh two fandoms that were uh you know meant to really uh spend eternity together
0: in hell Well, that was dramatic. Um, I, you know, I'm actually going to disagree with you about the fact that they should have definitely traded Jacob Grom. First of all, he has, you know, quite a bit of service time left and his contract is decently friendly. He's not a free agent until 2021. So, you know, the Mets, being what they are, are not a complete teardown project like the, the Reds or the Padres, for instance, that are just trying to stock up their farm system with anything they can get. Um, or the White Sox, you know, the way they sold off Chris Sale and Quintana doing all that kind of business. Uh, so I really don't agree with you that the Mets are stupid for not trading DeGrom. Um, obviously, all the moves that they made this offseason ended up looking pretty stupid in terms of providing support around what should have been a really strong pitching staff. Um, it just really did not come together for multiple reasons. And I don't think the Mets are going to be atrocious next year. They actually haven't been atrocious since the All-Star break, if I recall correctly. If I can um, pull up their record since the All-Star break, um, that will shed a little bit more light than, than just taking my word for it. But, um, you know, with Jacob deGrom in this case, you know I'm just going to sit here and applaud what he's done And I really am most looking forward to just seeing how the incompetent baseball writers of America will respond to him having eight wins on the season. I really hope he doesn't win another game, by the way. The Mets have nothing to win for. I hope Jacob deGrom goes out and throws eight innings of shutout ball with like 13 strikeouts, both of his next starts, and doesn't win those games. Because that's, like you said, if we don't have fascinating trivia to go along with with what's going on on the field then you know, what are we even playing this game for? What are we watching this game for? So here's to Jacob deGrom finishing with more wins above replacement than wins and hopefully winning the Cy Young by a landslide and warranting serious MVP consideration. So there you go. Um, That is actually, you know, more or less about all that I that I really wanted to talk about this time. Um, it, was there anything else from this last weekend of baseball that really stood out to you or that you really wanted to talk about?
1: Yeah, I think uh, you might talk about David Wright since we're on the Mets anyways. Do we not?
0: Uh, no, absolutely. Dave, what David Wright is, uh, is going to do is going to be really special. Why don't you go ahead and explain the, uh, the plan for that right now?
1: So I believe David Wright is going to be activated um, on the 24th, I think next week, and play on the 28th, which I think it sounds like it's going to be the Mets' last homestand. And uh, basically have one last game uh, before he retires. Um, it's his first game this season. He hasn't played all year. I don't even know when do you when was the last time he played. I don't think he's played since twenty sixteen. It looks like, wow, according to Baseball Reference, um, and it's uh, you know, I would say he's arguably the best player in Mets history. Um, I've been talking to people about this. A lot of people say Piazza um, or Tom Seaver. Um, I I think uh, I think Wright is up there. I certainly think if you he stayed healthy his whole career, um, he would have been the best Met, best Mets player of all time and certainly a Hall of Famer. And the Athletic just wrote an article about his Hall of Fame candidacy. I unfortunately, do not pay for the Athletic, so I cannot read that article. But I, I have to don't I don't really see a scenario where he ends up making the Hall of Fame. Unfortunately, um, but you know, from two thousand five two thousand five to you know 2009 2010 i mean david wright was probably you know arguably the best third baseman in baseball would you would you say maybe depending on how you feel about a rod at the time and his steroids and if he was really a third baseman or shortstop playing third base um but you know his season in 2007 um we hit 325 963 OPS with 94 walks, 107 RBIs, 30 home runs, 34 stolen bases, and 113 runs was uh, pretty incredible. And uh, you know, hard to believe he never. The highest. What's the highest you think he ever finished an MVP candidacy?
0: If I were to guess, probably f- fifth.
1: Very good. He was finished fourth that season. I, 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 in my head, in my head can I always assumed he had won an MVP, honestly. But uh, he's going to end his career with, let's see, f- six all-star appearances, it looks like. Um, th- four top 10 MVP finishes and six top 25. Uh, two gold gloves, two silver sluggers. It's interesting is that his two best finishes in the MVP race, were five years apart in 2012, actually, with 21 home runs and a 883 OPS. He was somehow the sixth uh, MVP. Well, who he won that year? In the MVP. It's pretty surprising.
0: Well, who won in 2012?
1: Who won MVP? Yeah. Uh, looks like that was Buster Posey's year.
0: Okay, so, you know. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, with David Wright, it it is really just such a sad but important reminder just how hard it is to accrue the kind of counting stats that you see from not only Hall of Famers but even players right now. Look at I I love to look at Adrian Beltre, and just look at how long he's been around. He and uh, he and Bartolo, I believe, are the only players still kicking from the uh, from the '90s. So. That's that's such an incredibly long time ago, that you know it it really does kind of show you just how difficult. No matter how talented you are, even a guy like David Wright, um, has just as much likelihood of encountering these kinds of injuries and you know that that hardship that comes with that recovery process. You know, day in day out. One of the most you know powerful quotes that I had read. I believe it was from him. I don't know if it was from recently, but you know, since he's been completely battered up injury-wise, is that a good day is just one of his injuries bothering him. An okay day is two of his injuries bothering him, and a not so good day is three injuries bothering him all at once. So, it is That's such sad. it is such a grind. I want everybody to know 162 regular season games plus, you know, a month of spring training. If you're going through the postseason, playing the most intense baseball of your life, doing all of that, afterwards, year in and year out, all the training that you do in the off season, this is kind of just, um, just to capture how, how great of a sport it is because, of the fact that it's a, such a unique marathon, and you'll never see something like that, in another sport you know you'll see things that are close you know other sports are incredibly physically demanding but just in terms of the time it takes the amount of patience and discipline and outside effort that we don't even look at that the media doesn't talk about that you know we don't see as fans that we don't consume the the hours a day they practice outside of playing games or the fact that they hit the weight room every single morning for the most part just to uh just to stay in a prime enough condition to go and play against the rest of the best players in the world it's really amazing seeing somebody like david wright make it all the way back to play in this one last game is going to be really magical there's not going to be a dry eye in the house i can guarantee you of that so it's going to be something to remember for sure i'm looking forward to it so Unless you had anything else to, to add about him, um,
1: I had one more quick point. Okay. If you don't mind, and then I'll let it go. Oh, yeah, sure. So I visited Wrigley Field, um, I think it was three weeks ago now. Um, first Thanks time, for the invite. Sorry?
0: Thanks for the invite.
1: Uh, it, it was not a game. I just literally walked out you know, <laughs> So uh, it's, uh, you know, you didn't miss that much. It was actually, I'm not going to lie, not to get too off topic, um, it was a little disappointing. Uh, I think that's because I wasn't actually at, in the stadium, but, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, uh, that
0: would prob- probably help. <laughs>
1: yeah, regardless. So, me and my dad we were walking around the stadium. It was like a bucket list thing for us to do together. Um, And they have all these statues and plaques of Cubs greats. Um, and I'm looking at some of these guys. First of all, a lot of them I never even heard of was just interesting. Um... Or neither or my dad, you know, lifetime baseball fans. It's just in, you would you kind of assume you would recognize, you know, most of the names of one of the most storied franchises uh best players. But, you know, when I looked at the guys that were that said they were in the Hall of Fame, like uh, a good example was Ron Santo, you know, it made me realize that the standards of being a Hall of Famer were so much, you know, less, you know, in the past and it was a whole I, uh, it just made me think that David Wright, if he had play, had this career in the 60s, I know it's like a, a, a what if, and everything to be what if, but he probably would have been a Hall of Famer for his prime. It's just, I think people forget how much the standards of the Hall of Fame have risen, not just because of steroids, but just in general. And it really makes it all just an extra degree of subjectivity that I think is way too often ignored there's all these players in the Hall of Fame that got in previously when just the whole level of standards that and expectations of just stats occurred and playing time and just number of seasons um, at the top level of the sport um, you know it's just it's it's really just puts into context how much uh, t- how much more people have to pay attention to uh, eras instead of just basic numbers
0: yeah Absolutely. You know, this is, this has become a very philosophical talk. I'm, I'm liking it a lot. Um, and you know, I'm sure at some point going forward, we'll, we'll sit down and talk about this a lot more. Um, the context of every time seems to come up when you're talking about awards, when you're talking about hall of fame voting, anything of the sort. So this is a conversation that will certainly be revisited in the future. But uh, you know, with David Wright, especially, he's he's gonna go out really strong. He's gonna make some history, hopefully. So there you have that. And you know what? I'm gonna end this podcast by sharing one of you know we talk about a Hall of Fame stat line for any any career in any context throughout history. Let's talk about Brandon McCarthy. You know, of course, well renowned. MLB Twitter game. No, but yeah, a major league pitcher pitched with a bunch of teams. Really, I guess you can consider him a journeyman. He has announced that he's going to retire. He was battling injuries this year. Um, So he is going to retire with 69 wins and a 420 ERA. How about that? That has to be the best way to end a career the most satisfying way to end a career that any player has ever has ever felt you know that's that's a real that's a real accomplishment right there so
1: it's the most brandon mccarthy thing i've ever heard in my entire life
0: it really is True, and
1: really meant to be truly fitting
0: you know i'm getting emotional right now just thinking about the the gravity of that of that stat right there it's it's beautiful it will live on forever and ever and uh, Brandon McCarthy, don't let anybody forget on Twitter what you've done with your time in the big leagues, and uh, it was all it was all for a, a greater cause, a grand purpose, to uh, deliver that kind of amazing, um, amazing trivia to this game that already has so much fantastic trivia. This might be my my new favorite piece. So, thanks for that, Brandon McCarthy, and thank you everybody for joining us. Uh, on this podcast today. Uh, thanks, Rudy, for joining me too because I know this is a difficult one to work out timing wise, and hopefully, uh, we'll get on and do this again soon. But if you enjoyed, go ahead and rate, comment, subscribe to our podcast uh, pretty much wherever you're listening to it iTunes, all that good stuff. And uh, check out beattheshiftbaseball.com for all our podcasts and any other content that we've got. That's the one place to see it all. Also, make sure you follow us on social media, at BeatTheShiftBP, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of that would be much appreciated. So, thank you again, one last time, as always, Rudy!
1: Peace!